Is this what we need right now, do you think? Do you think that the stay-at-home order, is it going to work? I have to tell you, it feels like we're constantly behind the eight ball, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like we're responding to signals after the signals, well after the signals are there. Consider, for example, what happened in Australia. True, we're not Australia, but they have six cases for two million people in one of their communities, and they lock down hard. So what do we do? We wait till the variants of concern are there and then respond to it. So this has been a widespread criticism. We're not acting decisively enough and quickly enough because the variants of concern are just that. They're extremely concerning. Look at what's happening. That B117, over 60% increased risk in hospitalization and death. Twice the risk, two times the risk of ICU. And what are we seeing? Hospitalizations are up by 20%. ICU it stays are up by 30%. So that's a big problem that we're facing now. So can we do better? Absolutely. But it's tough because they're always trying to balance the needs of everybody. But I'll share with you, those variants of concern rise and they rise rapidly. You look at B117, you look at what's happening on the West Coast right now. It's not just the B117 variant, which we know is effective for our, our vaccines are effective against it. But you've got that B1351 first identified in South Africa, and there are questions about how effective our vaccines will be against that. And then you've got the P1 variant, too. So these, these can rapidly take over a place. We know they're more contagious and more deadly. Okay, should there be, because of these variants of concern, and we have uh, seen this in Peel Region now today here in Toronto, the school systems closed, shut down. Do you anticipate that we're going to hear about a province-wide school shutdown? Do you think we need one? It's hard. You know, it's hard to put it. So let me give an overview of how things work, because it's not clear to everybody. So you've got Health Canada approving a vaccine. You've got NACI, a federal body that gives guidelines on that vaccine. Then you have the vaccine distribution committees. This is, you know, like general, retired general Hillier was in charge. There's only nine people on that, on that committee. But then ultimately it comes down to public health units who are making that decision. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's based on what is happening within that region that they're responding to. So a region that is seeing zero cases is probably going to say, you know what, we seem to be doing okay with the measures in place. But in the hot spots, for sure we've got to shut down because we're going to be in, what do they call it, deep doo-doo if we don't get those variants of concern under strict control. Strict. And that means we cannot afford to let them spread. We are seeing what's happening with us. Whole families are getting admitted to ICU. You know, and it's a very different disease. You know, the B117 variant is not the same disease anymore. It's affecting different people. So I hear this all the time, oh, kids are fine. Well, I was thrilled when the Pfizer vaccine came out saying, you know, we've got an effective vaccine. Sure, Health Canada has yet to approve it, but hopefully we'll have it in the fall. That can prove a game changer. But what if we get a variant of concern that affects children, too? And that could happen. We cannot take these things for granted. We have to act decisively and strongly when it comes to getting these variants under control. Okay, you mentioned NACI a moment ago, and Canada's Vaccine Advisory Committee says that giving as many Canadians as possible the first dose of vaccine before offering the second would allow more essential workers to be vaccinated sooner. Do we need to pursue that policy, and do we need to change our strategy right now because of these variants when it comes to the vaccine rollout? Well, this is 
what we have now. We have sort of a one-size-fits-all. Again, that's not going to work, where everybody is waiting four months to get the second dose. So the problem with that is that it is not an equal playing field. So those individuals who are at highest risk, individuals who are over 75 with serious lung disease, blood cancer, serious kidney disease, organ transplants, we know that those individuals are at a much higher risk. And I, for one, would say advocate for yourself. Get that second dose early. Do not wait. Go to your family doctor. I'm a family doctor, and I'm writing notes left and right from my patients who are at high risk, asking to make sure that they get that second dose in a timely way. What is timely for those individuals? I would max it out at two months, very max three, certainly not four months. There is no database suggesting that four months is reasonable in the highest risk group. So that's concern, too. And I think NASA will be issuing new guidelines today. I'm not sure what they're willing to say just yet, but hopefully it'll be to that effect that we need to be acting with a little more agility with those groups who are, who are truly at highest risk. Yeah. Are you hoping to hear something from the premier in his press conference? And again, we're sitting here awaiting a premier afford, not only when it comes to a stay-at-home order, but also a change in strategy when it comes to a vaccine rollout. Who are, what is essential, essential workers, essential workplaces, and do we need to take the vaccines, do you think, Dr. Gorfinkel, directly to those people, directly to those workplaces? 100%. To the extent that we can carry vaccine to people who are most in need, is that's to the degree that will be, a, will be effective. So we, we actually have data on where is disease coming from, like where are people getting the disease? And it's interesting, 50% of the cases in Ontario are coming from household contacts. 10% are coming from the workplace. You know, so these household contacts matter and they matter a lot. And Ontario health teams are working to try to bring vaccine into people's homes. So again, this is, this is a call out to the listeners. If you know somebody who's at home who can't get to that vaccine for whatever reason, the family doctor should be able to connect to the Ontario health team to try to get the vaccine to that individual. So those are, those are important things that are being done. Now, as far as getting them to essential workers, depending on the type of worker it is, they are in stage two and they should be vaccinated soon. But again, they're not created equally. You know, so we've got to parse it out and be a little more nuanced about it. Those who are really working shoulder to shoulder with tons of people, they got to get vaccinated. And right. they should be a higher priority. When it comes to vaccine, we've also got some uh, interesting and encouraging news that uh, the vaccine apparently is giving hope to the so-called long haulers. What do we know about that? So long hauler individuals who experience COVID-19, many of whom, by the way, have not even been firmly diagnosed, but those individuals who have symptoms for longer than at least three weeks following the diagnosis. Their, the definitions vary, but the top three symptoms, just statistically, are fatigue. 50% plus experience fatigue, headache, joint pains, and 25%. So those are the top three things that the long haulers get. Sure, they can get other things, the brain fog, the memory loss, and that can affect up to 30% of individuals. What's fascinating about it is that it doesn't necessarily match how severe the disease had been to begin with. Like, go figure, you would think that if you were super sick to begin with, that would predict long COVID. But no, some of these individuals had no symptoms and yet still developed long COVID. 
So there's a lot to that. So what, what happens? There's a preprint study. This is really small, but this is what we have to go on. It's from the University of Bristol. What do they do? They look at 66 patients who are hospitalized. Already, that's kind of like not so great because a lot of these patients were not hospitalized, but this is what they do. And they find that of the hospitalized patients who get vaccinated, almost a quarter resolved after getting either the Pfizer or AstraZeneca vaccine. So that's encouraging, but understand, they're hospitalized patients, and it's a really small study. Only 44 were vaccinated of the 66. And even in the group not vaccinated, 15% of them resolved. So we know they resolve on their own. It's hard to know what to make of little studies like that. We need big data, big data. And, you know, I'm talking about millions and we don't have that kind of data just yet. All right. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, I also wanted to ask you about uh, Premier Ford and his claim uh, yesterday, uh, which we've heard repeatedly, that we just need more vaccine, that we need more supply, that Ontario is getting it into arms as quickly as possible. Now, the federal government, uh, they don't say that they did this to provoke, but uh, in response, they are posting uh, numbers, delivery numbers online when it comes to each and every uh, province. What do you know? What do you think? Are we getting uh, vaccines to people uh, quick enough uh, here in the uh, province? Overall, I've been impressed with it. And I think that we are getting them into arms pretty quickly. Understand. I mean, this has been a very short period of time, and it's overall working, I think, pretty well. If you take a look, you know, Ontario was delivered over just over 4 million vaccines. And of them, 63% have already been given. That's pretty good. In Quebec, it's sixty-seven percent, but we're—I mean—we're cutting hairs, and overall, you know, we're—you know—we're slicing the hair, as they say. So, what what is it overall in Canada? We're also not doing too badly. You know, the number of people who have been vaccinated now—I think the number is close to seventeen percent of Canadians have received vaccine, which is pretty darn good. Now, we're not talking dose two; we're talking just the first dose. You know, so when the people will get the second dose, everyone has to get a second dose. There's not even a question about that. But that's where a lot of this lies. You know, in Quebec, no one has actually received a second dose yet. They're not giving out second doses in Quebec. Here in Ontario, a small percentage have received the second dose. But still, we're, you know, the strategy has largely been just give it to everybody, get it in as many arms as possible, because it is a race against the variants of concern that are spreading so rapidly. Consider Ontario. You know, so six weeks ago, did you even hear about B117? And then what happens? It, in, in the space of six weeks, it becomes two-thirds of the cases we now have. And that's what's so worrisome. Like, you look out west of what's going on, that PY variant, that's rearing its ugly head. Sure, it's a very tiny percentage, but what will it be in six weeks from now? And that's the reason for these lockdowns. That's the reason for saying don't travel. You know, I, I got a question from a patient today. She's itching to go to Florida. I'm like, what the heck? Florida, are you kidding? You're going to bring back more variants of concern. That is out of the question. So unnecessary travel, even within Canada, should actually be held to a, to a minimum. We've got to be strict about it because if we get these variants of concern in and our vaccines aren't working, we're in deep doo-doo. All right, Dr. Gorfinkel, appreciate the time as always, and thanks so much uh, for the update. Many, many thanks, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel.